Everybody come on out. All right, bye. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. We also have some exciting stuff going on in our children's ministry. Dance classes start January 24th. See Matt or visit our website to sign up. Are you a mom of a preschooler? Rise Up kicks off the new year January 17th at 9 a.m. and January 19th at 6 p.m. See Evan Roberts for more information. What a better way to start out the new year. Join us as we celebrate some new baptisms. Jordan Hood and Chuck and Lisa Meyer were baptized this past week. Welcome to the family. This just in, breaking news. The grand total of our Together Initiative offering. You gave just shy of $140,000. Let's pray God continues to bless this offering for our church, our community, and the world. Church, we're learning through this series that it is up to us. This week, Jason dives into the letter to the church at Smyrna. As you know, we're tying in this series with Pathways. If you're interested in signing up, you can visit our website or go to the Next Steps room. It kicks off January 17th. Do you need financial peace in your life? Who doesn't? Financial Peace University starts January 26th. See Pat or Cindy Murphy or visit our website under the Adults tab to sign up. Are you new here or a first-time guest? Please stop by and see us at the I'm New Wall. Good morning, church family. Good morning. How are you doing out there? And now you're in the know. You know what's going on on the hill now, right? So will you stand to your feet? We're going to worship the Lord, but let's pray real quick that we can just invite our Heavenly Father in the midst of us. Father, we just come before you. We thank you for being in this place, Lord. You said in your word, two or three are gathered In your name, you are in the midst of us, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that you are a healer of the broken heart, Lord. Um, And Lord, you are the author and the finisher of our faith today, God. So we love you, and we just want to celebrate by singing all the good that you are, Lord, within our hearts, Father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. worship our King and come let us bow at His feet He has done great things see what our Savior has done see how His love overcomes He has done great things oh He has done great things 
this morning that we can build on Christ is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would He fail now? He won't He won't I still got joy in chaos I've got peace that makes no sense So I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength Cause I've my life on Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful in every season So I 
Sometimes we have to have testimony. We have to declare what God has done, amen, that builds our faith. Not just for us, but it builds for others. So here's our testimony. When the storms come, when the rain came and the wind blew, he held firm, amen. Rain came and wind blew, but my house was built on you. many great things. God is doing so many great things. If you weren't in here in time to watch the uh, announcements ahead of time, you may have missed the fact that even in the midst of winter storm and Christmas season, our together offering was over $140,000 to go toward missions and outreach. That's a celebration. Uh, if you weren't in here early, you didn't get to celebrate and witness some of the baptisms that have already happened this year. It's already started and more are going to happen uh, today for sure that we already know about. And so we're celebrating that. Uh, I, I, I just heard from some people coming in that the, the traffic out was actually backed up out on US 60 for a little bit, kind of like when we do trunk or treat. That's a good thing. Last weekend, 
We had our largest non-Easter, non-Christmas attendance ever. Uh, Over 1,200 people on our weekend services, and that's phenomenal. And so I'm excited about what God's doing. We're going to ordain some people in next service. That's really cool. But we're getting ready to celebrate the greatest thing that ever happened right now. See, every week when we come to this time of the service and we go over to these tables and we get the little cups with a, a piece of bread and some juice in it, we celebrate the fact that because of Jesus, we can live forever. And that we can overcome the storms. And that when the rain comes, we can stand firm on him because he died on that cross so that we could live forever. So that we could have eternity with him. And even in the midst of the worst things that we can imagine here on earth, even in the midst of broken relationships and and sickness and death and job loss and all the stuff that Satan throws at us, We have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to celebrate during this time of communion. And we get to also during this time say, and God, I am so thankful. I'm going to live my life as closely as I can in step with how you've encouraged me. And so part of that is I'm going to give. I'm going to give of my time and my talent, but I'm also going to give of my treasure. And so you can give your offerings during the offering boxes. Jason's got an awesome message today. We're finishing up talking about uh, the two parts of the first step of Pathways. And some of you may be ready today to sign a membership covenant. We're going to be continuing this series we're in talking about these churches and learning lessons. There's so much, so much to celebrate this weekend. Let's do it right now through a time of communion and offering. God, we pray that you will bless this time. God, we thank you that you loved us enough to give us Jesus, that gives us hope and reason to live and to know that we can get through the storms of life. God, I pray for every person that's seated in this room right now that you might speak to their heart in a very special way that pertains exactly to what they need to hear. And then for those that need to accept Jesus as Savior, they'll be encouraged to do that. For those that need to join a church, they'll be encouraged to do that. But right now, God, right now, as we partake, help our total focus be on what happened, not on the cross, but as Jesus walked out of a tomb and proved the power over death. In his name we pray. Amen.
chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my
You know, um, there, there have been reports, and there were reports in the last couple of years that, um, you know, after COVID and all, all that nonsense, that the church was, was dying, <laughs> that the church uh, was going to be no more. I don't know what's happening in other parts of the country, but I can tell you one thing, the church is alive and well in Shelbyville, Kentucky. I hope you guys, I know most of you when you sang that last song, believed it with every fiber of your being, that there is only one hope, and His name is Jesus. There is only one hope. With everything else going on in this crazy world, there is only one hope. There's only one way any of us get out of this place alive, and His name's Jesus. Amen? Hey, thanks for being here this morning. We are in week two of a series called Up to Us. And when someone looks at you and says, well, it's up to you. And maybe they'll look at you this afternoon and go, hey, we're, it's up to you. Where do you want to go eat lunch, right? So there's a decision that you have to make. When we say up to us, it implies that we have a decision to make. So church, this morning, the first thing I want to share with you is that we have a decision to make. Are we going to hear what Jesus has said to us? Are we going to take it in? Are we going to listen to it? Are we going to allow it to enter our minds and our hearts and our soul? And are we going to act on it? Or, right, the decision. Are we going to just kind of ignore it and go on and live life maybe the way we've been living life? I want you guys to look at a couple of passages of Scripture as we start this morning. These are two of the most important things that were ever said, that were ever uttered by anyone. And Jesus said them to his followers. He said them to the church. He, he said them to us. I want you to look at this as I read it. Jesus came and he told his disciples, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the age, until the end of the world. Church, you go. Disciples, you go. Followers, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them my ways. Teach them my commands. And then look at this next one. What's his command? Someone, a religious leader, stood up and tried to trick Jesus and test him. And he said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And here's what Jesus said. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. I wonder, do you struggle with loving the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul? And with all your mind. Now, I bet if there was one of those, if we polled the audience and said, which one of those is tough for you? It's, it's, it's the mind, right? There are so many things that distract our minds. And Jesus said, I want it all. I want your heart. We'll go back to that. I want your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, he said. And the second, second equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all of it, everything. 
can be boiled down to this, Jesus said. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You get these two things right, Jesus said, and and the rest of it will just work itself out. You love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and then you go and you love your neighbors, you love your community, you love the people around you in the same way, and and now we're on the right track, church. That is what we are called to be as a church. It's up to us. I love this series. Uh, for the next uh, five weeks, this is week two, so there's seven of these letters. They're really notes. They could be on a postcard. They could almost be in a tweet. I tried to tweet the one I'm going to read today. It wouldn't quite fit in a tweet, but you could get it in two tweets. You could get it on like a small Facebook post. It's just 90 words. Right? And it's a little note that Jesus himself writes to a church in Smyrna. Now, here's what's happening. Dave mentioned this last week to set this up. John, Jesus' best friend, his disciple, he's, kind of, he's one of the ones that, like, he's one of the last ones left. All the other disciples, they've been martyred, they've been crucified, they've been killed because they said they were followers of Jesus. And John has been exiled to this island of Patmos, and he's there by himself. Right? Basically in prison on this island. And Jesus comes to him in a dream and reveals things to him. Tells him things. That's why we, that's how we get the book of Revelation. It's this revelation to John. But these are Jesus' words. The next few words that I'm reading today, if you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red, these words are going to be in red. These are Jesus' words. And these are Jesus' specific words to a specific church in a city called Smyrna. But there's a lot of things that I think we can learn from these words today, I want to show them to you this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about the city first. Smyrna was a beautiful city. Smyrna is about 40, 35, 40 miles uh, south of Ephesus. So it's right there in the, in the same region of where all seven of these churches are. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a seaport place. It's a place where uh, in, the, in the first century, it was a place of, of a hub of intellect and art and religion and athletic prowess. Some of the first schools of science and medicine were founded in Smyrna in the first century. On the slopes of Mount Pagos, they built, get this, they built, uh, they built the Yum Center. They built Rupp Arena. They built a 20,000-seat arena. Think about this. In the first century, right, right there in the city of Smyrna. The Olympics, y'all. The Olympics were played in Smyrna. So this is no podunk town, right? This is a very important place in the first century. It has been described as one of the, the, the most beautiful of all the seven cities and churches that Jesus writes to in the book of Revelation. Today, it's known as Izmir, Turkey. You could actually go there today and, and see the city. It's the, one, it's the only of the seven churches that Jesus writes about in, the book, in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. This is the only one that's actually still in existence today. There's about 275,000 people that live in the city today. It's the home of, you may remember in, uh, in history or in English when you're in high school, there's the Greek poet Homer. This is, this is his hometown. And so this is who Smyrna is. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's interesting. It's not mentioned anywhere else other than the book of Revelation chapter 2 and the verses that we're going to read this morning. It was probably founded. We don't really know for sure, but we can pretty much connect the dots here because it's only 40 miles from Ephesus. Paul spent two years in Ephesus, so chances are he traveled down to Smyrna to start this church on his third missionary journey. 
And so there's this group of Christians there, right, that Jesus wants to get a message to. And he says, John, write these words down and have this sent to the church at Smyrna. And here's what he says. Verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. Write this letter to the angel, or to the messenger of the church of Smyrna, Jesus says. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who, who was dead but now is alive. Right? Jesus starts out and he says, hey, tell, tell them, like, I, this is God who's writing this letter. You know, that Jesus who they stuck on that cross and put in that tomb, I am alive and well. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. That's the person writing this letter to you today, church at Smyrna. And then this is what he says to them. Very important, the next two words. Verse 9. I know... Jesus says, I know, I know you're suffering. Look, I know you're suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say, that, uh, they, they say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Jesus says to this church in Smyrna, he says, I see you. I know what's going on. I, I, I know what you're dealing with. I understand what you're up against, church. I know that you're being persecuted and you're being mistreated. And there's, being, there's all kinds of blasphemy against you with people that you thought were your friends. The people that you looked up to in the past. Jewish leaders in the synagogue. And he said, Jesus, I want you to know that that synagogue in Smyrna, it belongs to Satan now. It is not God's. Wow. Powerful words. The church at Smyrna has often been called the suffering church. Jesus' followers in Smyrna were being persecuted on a couple different fronts. So here's what's happening, right? The Roman world uh, occupies and controls everything at this point, right? Every, every major city in this part of the world, Rome is in control. So Roman officials, Roman authorities, Roman soldiers, like it, Rome is the authority. But along the way, what Rome would do is when they would come into a place like Smyrna, they would allow the Jewish uh, people to continue to practice their religion. They, they would kind of make a deal with the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. And they would say, hey, if you can, Jewish leaders, really, you know, guys, if you can kind of just keep them kind of contained and under control, and like, if you'll just stay over here and stay in your little box, like, we'll be okay with you. Just, like, we won't mess with you. We'll let you practice your religion. But, like, we're going we're gonna to work together, right? And so that was the, the agreement that Rome had with the Jews, the Jewish people. And so as long as the Jewish people were in this little, like I said, box and bubble, and they did their thing, Rome said, all right, you stay over there, do your little thing, do whatever you're doing with your, your religion, and we'll leave you alone. And that's kind of what they did. But here's what happens. Rome starts to see these Christians that are bubbling up. These little small groups of Jesus followers. Now, this is different than, than, than the Jewish religion. Like, this is, they're talking about something different. They're talking about this Jesus guy that was dead and he's now alive. And here's what Rome started to realize. They, they started to realize that we can't even kill these Christians to get rid of them. Like, when we kill them, more of them just come back. They just keep multiplying. More and more, and like, they, they are thinking, like, we'll just snuff this out. If we kill them all, Right? This, this crazy little cult will be dead. It'll be over. 
But the more and more they got persecuted, the more and more they got pushed to the sidelines, the more and more they got stuck on stakes out on the side of the road. The Roman people loved, the Roman soldiers, they loved to make sport out of crucifying people. We think about sometimes, well, it just happened with Jesus and a few people. No, it happened all the time. They would line the roads into the cities. And when you would walk the roads into the cities, there would be these crosses, these sticks, these trees. And there would be people crucified on them. And they wanted everyone to know who's in charge, who's in control. It's a fear tactic. It's a terroristic tactic, right? And so that's who they were. And they thought, well, let's just kill them all. They couldn't kill them. The Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, they were threatened because they looked at these Christians and said, wait. They're taking our limelight. They're, they're taking our stage. They're, they're taking power away from us. They're taking our people away from us. And they're going and joining this Jesus thing. And so here's what happens. These people rise up in Smyrna. This church rises up in Smyrna and says, Hey, we're going to go follow Jesus now. And they say, No, you're not. Oh, yes, we are. We're going to kill you. Okay, you kill us. And then there's a whole another group that comes along behind. Hey, we're going to follow Jesus. What are you guys doing? We're going to follow Jesus. We think he's the way. We think he's God. Like he defeated death. I think he's better than you guys. We're going to go follow him, right? And so there's this thing that happens. And they say, Well, we can't have this. And so they start to persecute them. They say, Hey, cut them out. Cut them out of every business. Uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're renting a home to them, kick them out. If they're employed by you, fire them, right? And so after a little, little bit of time, they're in this community. They're in Smyrna. All their people, they thought they were friends. They don't have a job. They don't have a place to go. They don't have anywhere to, like, no food. They have nothing. And they're in poverty. And they're looking around going, this is what it costs to follow Jesus? And so Jesus says, Write them this letter and let them know that I see their suffering. I see their poverty. I know what's going on with them. And then look at verse 11. He says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. (laughs) He says, "It's, it's pretty bad now, church. But here's what I want you to know. It's going to get worse. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Jesus tells them that it's not a matter of if suffering is going to come, but when it comes. And when it comes, he tells, hey, 10 days, all right? You're going to be in there for 10 days. And what he says is there's this period of time, right? A very specific period of time that you're going to, you're going to be in prison. You're going to have to suffer this kind of whatever this is, right? But know that it's temporary. That whatever it is that you're facing, church, on this earth now, that you're suffering through, that you maybe feel persecuted about. He, he tells the church, know that it's just temporary. It's only a small amount of time. But hang on. Hang on because you're going to receive a crown of life. You're going to receive something far more important than anything this world can offer or throw at you. And he makes them this promise. If they remain faithful, even in the face of death, they will receive eternal life. I love James 1, 12. It says this, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Stand up under the trial. Stand up under the persecution. That's what Jesus is encouraging this church with. 
And then in verse 11, he says this, Anyone who hears, with, with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Here's the, here's the uh, first mistake you guys made this morning. The first mistake you made is coming and listening to this. Because now, guess what? You, we, have no excuse. Like, we can't go back and go, oh, Jesus, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that's what you required of me. I didn't know what that, that's what you intended your church to be about. God, Jesus, I didn't, I didn't know. I never heard that before. <laughs> you messed up. Because now you know. It's not just like on a preacher or on a group of elders or on a staff or a small little group of people in a church. This is something that Jesus says for every single one of us who says, Jesus, I want to follow you with the rest of my life. He says, all right, you need to go. You need to make disciples. You need to go to the ends of the earth. You need to baptize them. You need to teach them. You need to love them. And along the way, you may, you may face a little persecution. Jesus finishes with, he says, whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Jesus is saying, church, it's up to us. It is up to you and it's up to me to understand the mission, the great commission that he has before us. Jesus makes a promise to the believers there in Smyrna. He says, if you stay with me, you're not going to be harmed by the second death. What's the second death? Well, the second death is a reference to the final judgment of the wicked. Revelation 26, and then in, in verse, uh, in, 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 later on in 14, and then in, in uh, chapter 23, verse 8, Jesus is referring to this final judgment. Believers are not going to be hurt by the, the final judgment. The sin, their sin was judged at the cross and in Christ. And Jesus says, the Bible says, Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But there's going to be a judgment of the wicked. There's going to be a day where those who are not in Christ will be judged and will receive a second death, Jesus. These are Jesus' words. I'm not making this up. This is not something like, these are Jesus' actual words. There will be a second death of the judge, of the, of the wicked. And we're going to be judged. Those people are going to be judged into eternal damnation. And Jesus says, if you hold up, if you stay strong, if you persevere in the middle of whatever it is that you're dealing with, know that you're going to receive a crown of righteousness, eternal life. You know, sometimes it's hard. It's hard for the church in America. To really understand what true persecution, like church persecution, church, uh, persecution of Christians is. Because we don't really, we haven't experienced that here yet, right? We, we have freedoms. We have freedom in this country to come and go, to worship, to do whatever we want to do for the most part. We, we have religious freedoms, we have the freedom to gather here today. We enjoy things in this country that people in other parts of the world would only dream about today. Christians and churches in other parts of the world could only dream about. I want you to look at some of these statistics about the persecuted church in the world. Look, look at this. There are 300 million Christians who are going to face persecution on a regular basis all over the world. It's a, it's a threat of death, of arrest, of abduction, 
of physical and sexual abuse. Now, I'm talking like today, in 2023, 300 million Christians face persecution. It hovers, it hovers over their community. It hovers over their church. It hovers over their gatherings. Most of the persecution happens in Asia and Africa and in a few Latin American countries. Look at this next stat. 13 Christians are killed every day because of their faith. That means today, when you got up, had breakfast, decided to come to church, go out to lunch after church, whatever you decide to do today, with the rest of your day, go home, watch the playoffs, NFL playoffs, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. There are going to be 13 people in this world who got up this morning and said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to share the good news. And because of that, their lives are over today. Every day, every 24 hours, 13 people in this world die simply because they are followers of Jesus. Twelve churches or Christian buildings are attacked, vandalized, broken into every single day. Eighteen Christians are arrested and are imprisoned every single day. Five Christians are abducted every day. Most of those are probably kids, children, young people who, who, are, who are abducted, who are, are kidnapped and, and sold into some sex trafficking scheme in the world. Eight in one, eight, uh, one in eight Christians experience some sort of persecution every single day. And more Christians will be persecuted in 2023 than in any other time in the history of the world. This, these uh, stats are from a, a, a website called persecution.org. And there's a magazine that they put out called The Voice of the Martyrs, if you're interested in, in uh, looking into this some more. It's really, really fascinating and heartbreaking. I want to share a story with you this morning that I pulled from, from the website. Here's what it says. It says, asking for permission to preach is a way of life for Leonardo. Merely forgetting or refusing to ask can result in death at the hands of the, the guerrillas or the paramilitaries in Colombia's red zones. Pastors in these areas are viewed as obstacles to the group's political ambitions because young people, <laughs> because young people who become Christians are no longer attracted to the group's violent lifestyles. They give you a time to start preaching, and you have to begin and be done at that time, Leonardo explained. There was no nighttime preaching or walking around outside aloud. I always had to give a note if I was going to go anywhere. Leonardo's church soon transferred him to a different area where he worked with people who had been displaced by guerrilla groups in the red zone. But this new home was not free from opposition either. There are gangs and hitmen, he said. I have been there for two years, and two different times I have been told that I couldn't preach. The gang stopped Leonardo in front of the church and denied him entrance, saying, Today, no preaching. When authorities told Leonardo to stop preaching, he found even more opportunities to share the gospel. Leonardo found another place to preach. With a speaker and a microphone in hand, he began preaching outside. He first began preaching to young boys, and in a short amount of time, the outdoor church grew to include 70 adults and 53 children. Most had never heard the gospel, but they soon placed their faith in Jesus and were baptized. Now Leonardo is training several others to preach. He knows it's dangerous to share the gospel, so openly. But he also knows that he's not alone. God is with him and he has the prayers and supports of his brothers and sisters around the world. I feel the warmth of the, my brothers outside. The appreciation you have for us in our service. Imagine 
living in Colombia, being a Christian, not knowing if you show up to church today, what's going to go down. Here's another really short story. This is a true story from a church on the Arabian Peninsula. So this is Kuwait, or Qatar, Oman, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, somewhere around there. It says, when terrorists invaded the church, uh, church service, and pointed guns at his head. Let me just stop right there, right? Golly. When terrorists invaded the church and pointed guns at his head, the pastor could have said many thanks to the congregation. Led by the Holy Spirit, Spirit, he told them simply this, Be at peace. Soon we will be with Jesus. Can you just imagine? Like, we can't. Can you imagine that scene? Instead of committing murder, the attackers put their guns down and left the church, leaving the pastor and his flock alive and well at least on that day, right? Persecution is real. It was happening at at the church in Smyrna in the first century, and it's still happening all over the world today. It's hard for us today, like I said, to understand it, to even realize what it would look like or feel like on most days. But it's real, and it happens every single day. The church in America looks far different than churches in other parts of the world. And so we are blessed with freedoms that other churches don't have, that other churches would literally die for. And so with great opportunity comes great responsibilities. With great opportunity becomes great responsibilities. I believe that because of where God's placed us, And because of who we are, right, as a church and a country, that we have responsibilities. That's why I'm so passionate about missions and saying, how can we step outside of ourselves and help Christians and help people in other parts of the world? Uh, John May shared with me earlier, uh, this one right before I came up to preach, that uh, Team Expansion actually has some people working, uh, missionaries working in Izmir, Turkey today, right? So they've sent people back there today. To continue to share the gospel. Right, right there in the cradle of, of, of where, it, where it all began. And so we have great opportunities and great responsibilities. So here's my question. What, what kind of a church do you want to be a part of? What kind of a church is Shelby Christian Church? Well, I'm kind of glad you asked. Because I, with a couple, what, ten minutes I have left, I want to share with you our... Five core values. They're actually on the wall right over here to my right, to your left. Most of you, if you're new, you probably just thought, oh, that's just wall art. You haven't even really recognized it or noticed it. It's been up there for so long that the rest of us, you know, when you have like a picture or something in your house, it's been there for so long, you just, you just look right past it. I'm, I'm fearful that that's sometimes what happens with these things. But, but it shouldn't because these are our five core values. And, and these are the things that we ask. Dave mentioned it. We're going to uh, mention it here again at the end of the service. This is our, our membership covenant. And basically what we say is, hey, we want to all be on the same page with these five core things. Like, if, if we can be on the same page as a church, then, man, we can do some things. We can do the things that God's called us to do, that He's commanded us to do, right? And so here's what we say. The first thing is, we say that we want to worship Jesus. We worship Him every single day. We, we hope... Here's the hope. The hope is that that you have walked, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
right? You have the freedom and the opportunity, and you don't think you have the time, but you do have the time, right, to walk with him every single day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so hopefully for you, if you're following Jesus, you're, you're reading his word. You're, you're, you're doing a devotion. You're getting up early in the morning and praying. You're doing it before you go to bed at night. You're sticking some, some worship songs in your, in your earbuds when you're working out. You're, you're, you're listening to your, your favorite preacher, right? You're doing whatever you need to do every single day to say, you know what, I'm going to recenter myself and I'm going to remind myself of who God is. I'm going to worship Him today. When your feet hit the floor and you reset every morning as a follower of Jesus, it's like, Jesus, this is another day that you've blessed me with. What are the opportunities of this day for me to worship you? And if you do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when we gather in here on a Sunday morning, Right? And all of our hearts come together, and there's this synergy, and then there is this energy, and we're singing, and, this, and the worship team is lit like it is almost every week, right? And they're rocking and rolling. Now we're cooking with grease, right? Now we're rocking and rolling because we've all said, hey, we have been walking with the Lord, and we've worshiped Him, and now this is a celebration. Has it been perfect? Has it been easy? Are, are we struggling with things? Yes. And it hasn't been perfect, and it hasn't been easy this week. But we can come, and we can worship Him because we've walked with Him every single day. When we talk about worshiping, we say worship Him every day. Worship, have a, have a lifestyle that honors Him. The choices that you make about your life honor God. You worship Him with your actions and in your words. And then we talk about worshiping Him every week. We say that this is important. A corporate worship is important, whether it's a Thursday night or a Sunday morning. It is important for us to be together every single week. And so we're, we say we're going to worship Jesus that way and in those ways. The second one is we say we're going to study the Bible. We view the Bible as the authority. It is the supreme authority in our lives. God, your word, the word that you've given us, it's going to guide us, it's going to lead us, it's going to command us, it's going to correct us, it's going to teach us, it's going to do all that, right? It's the authority in our lives, so we're going to study it. We're going to view it as that authority. We're going to invest in learning and growing as Christians, taking those next steps as we learn and grow and read and take all this in. Are we going to understand it all at first? No, absolutely not. We're going to continue down this path. We're going to continue to take the next steps. And here's the thing we say, is that every single person, I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, there's a step that you can take today. There's a step that you can take in 2023. Like, what's your next step? Maybe it is joining the church. You can do that today. Maybe it is being baptized. You can do that today. Maybe it is saying, you know what? I need to get in a life group. I need to get in a Bible study. I need to get in a group. I need to get out of rows and get in a circle and start meeting with people. And studying God's Word and opening up. One of the other things we talk about in studying is we're going to find accountability. We see the Bible studies and life groups as places where we can enjoy accountability and support, right? Where you sit in those groups and you say, hey, let's pray for one another. Let's study God's Word together. Let's share life together. If you're not in some kind of a group, like this is, this is awesome and this is wonderful, but it's, it, it, it won't, it's, it's not enough. You've got to have other things. You've got to have other people. And if there's 1,200 or 2,000 or 5,000, there's no way that Dave Hamlin can check in on all of you this week. He just can't do that. He doesn't have enough time. And so you've got to get in a group where you're looking at other people and going, hey, can I share life with you? Can, can, can we pray? Can we talk about what's going on? Can we study God's Word together? Can we learn from each other? Those things are important. So when we worship, we study, and then the third thing is we say we're going we're to serve God and other people. We follow Jesus' example, and when Jesus says, I came to serve others and to give my life 
as a ransom for many. Jesus said, it wasn't about me. It was about serving others. And so we want to pursue and develop a servant's heart. Here's what's hard. It's really hard to have a heart for other people if you don't focus on that. Because the natural tendency is for us to focus on self. Like to focus on ourselves. Like and we get caught up in ourselves. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, put yourself to the side. And focus on other people. Focus on your neighbors, right? Focus on your, your, who's, you know, the one person that you're trying to share Jesus with. Like, focus on those people. And we say, well, no, I got a lot of stuff going on with me. I got to focus on me. And Jesus says, no, put yourself to the side. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And so we follow his example. We develop a servant's heart. And we want to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities for him and for other people. You guys, every single person in this room, you have something uniquely inside of you, the way that God hardwired you, that he designed you. Like you have something that you can give back. You just got to figure out what it is if you haven't already yet. What is it, God, that you've put inside of me that I can use for your kingdom to serve you and your people and your church and this community? We've got to go on a journey to figure that out. And so we worship and we study and we serve. The fourth thing is we we, we say we want to give back generously. We want to pursue generosity in all things. Generosity in our time and our talent with our attention. We want to just be generous people. Have you ever been around someone who just, they're just generous? Like, it just, you can just feel it. You can sense it. Like, you're having a conversation with them, and they're not looking at their phone or their watch. They don't have to be anywhere else. They are totally engaged in what you're saying. And you're like, this person cares about me because they're making eye contact. We're having this conversation. They don't seem to have ten things on their mind. Like, they're, that, that's a generous offering to just stop and be attentive and say, you matter. And I'm going to sit here, and we're going to have a conversation. Sometimes the most generous thing you can do for someone is give them some of your time. Because we're so busy, right? And we're going in 12,000 different directions. And so we say, let's just be people who are generous. We, we do talk about giving back. Giving back to God. Practicing biblical tithing with a generous heart. Taking the first fruits of what God's blessed us with. And saying, God, you've blessed us. Like, as a person who lives in the United States of America in 2023, you and I have blessings that people in history and people in other parts of the world can only dream of. Cannot even fathom. Now, I know you don't feel like that today. You don't feel rich. You may not feel blessed. You might not feel how you have a lot when you compare it to your neighbor, right? Or to the boss. I get it. But we're like in the one, like the top point whatever percent of people in the whole world. If you have shoes on today, and I think most of you do, you're better than like two-thirds of the rest of the world, right? And so we stop and we, we realize that we've been given so much. And God says, you give a portion of that back so that we can share it with other people, so that they can know about my son. 
and we look for opportunities to help people who are in need. There are people in our community, you guys know this because you have friends and family members, people that you work with, people that your kids go to school with. You have people that are in need. There are people that are in need every single day. And so we have a vibrant benevolence ministry, an outreach ministry, where we say, hey, we want to help people. We want to we help people in a tangible way. And maybe we can help pay for a utility bill or something like that, or a part of a funeral bill or whatever it may be. And along the way, maybe that'll open up an opportunity for us to have a conversation with that individual or that family about how much Jesus loves them. Right? And so we look for opportunities to give back. And then the fifth thing is we want to share Jesus with other people. We look for opportunities to share our Jesus stories. Every one of you has a story to tell. Whether you're just starting it today or you've been on this journey for several years, you have a story that you can tell about what Jesus has done in your life. Think about it. Practice it. Write it down. Memorize it. Like, what's your story? What is Jesus doing in your life right here today? How do you see him working in your life? And then here's what happens. This week at work, people, somebody says, what would you do this week? And I went to church. I'm thinking about joining this church. Going, like, oh, really? What's that all about? Well, let me just, and you don't have all the, you don't have the answers. You're not like a biblical scholar. But here's what you can do. You can sit down and go, let me share with you what Jesus is doing in my life. And that's going to resonate with someone else, right? When someone says, hey, I know you're different. I can see how something's changed. What am I sensing? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? Let me share with you what Jesus is doing in my life. That's far more impactful, far more important than you calling up and saying, hey, preacher, I need you to talk to my friend. No, you talk to your friend. God puts you in that place, in that moment to share your Jesus story with them. And then if you get the opportunity to say, hey, why don't you come with me on Sunday? Let's go do this together, right? But you share your Jesus stories. You be committed to sharing, looking for opportunities to share what Jesus is doing in your life today. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to have all the answers to do that. We are disciples who are making other disciples. Who's your one? One of the things we always continue to ask around here is who's your one? Who's the one person? If you are a follower of Christ, who's the one person in your life that you're focused in on, that's in your path, that's in your crosshairs, that's right there in front of you, they're on your heart, they're on your mind, you've written their name in your Bible, you put it on, you know, on the sticky note, on the mirror in your bathroom, and you look at it every day, this is the person, I will not rest until this person knows Jesus. Who's your one? Who is that for you? We should be able to walk up to one another. And whisper in each other's ears when we're out in the lobby. And we see each other wherever. And we're in life group. Who's your one? Immediately, you could go, well, I've got ten of them, right? I've got, we at least have one. Who, who's the person that you're praying for every single morning that they would come to know the Lord? And then here's, watch this, here's what happens. And then one day, you're standing over there. You're telling a story about how this is your buddy at work. Right, you share desks, you share cubicles, you share that you stand stand next to each other on the line. You're you, you you know you're in the truck together, whatever it is. You teach together, you coach together, you're in a class together. Right? We've just been talking about Jesus for like six months, <laughs> for the last six years, whatever the case may be. And now you're in there. That's what it looks like to share Jesus. One last thing. The church at Smyrna. The word Smyrna 
the root word there is myrrh. You can kind of see it in the word, right? You know, maybe you guys want to know what myrrh is. Myrrh is this sap that comes from a tree. It has to be extracted, right? And myrrh is this, it smells really nice. And it's this beautiful perfume and aroma and it's used. And it's very, it's very pleasing to the nose. It smells very good. But for myrrh to be activated, it has to be crushed. It has to be crushed. Here's what's interesting. As that church in Smyrna continually got pounded and pounded and pounded and just crushed down by the world and by their former friends and by the authorities and by their community with this real persecution. The more and more it got crushed, the more and more this aroma was released, right? The the persecution didn't end them. It caused them to grow. And because of their perseverance and their faithfulness, even in the face of death, you and I sit here today. Do you realize if in the first century, if those few hundred Christians would have given up and said, this is too hard, we can't do this, I don't want to die for this, I don't want to go to jail for this, they're going to send me to an island for this, I don't want to be crucified upside down for this. Nope, I'm out. I'm going back to the synagogue. If they would have done that, this ain't happening today. This is not happening. It would have been over. But here's what Jesus said. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And so whether it's a group of 30 or 300 or 3,000 or 300 million, his church will continue to prevail. And so for us, what kind of a church do we want to be? Let's be a church that as it gets harder... And it may get harder in the next decade in the United States to be the church. It may just get harder. But as it gets harder, let's continue to be a place that just smells like Jesus. And when people come into our presence and come into our gathering and come into this place, that the first thing they sense the thing that they sense all the way through the experience and the thing that they sense when they leave these doors is that Jesus was there today. We could smell Him. That's the aroma. Let's be that kind of church. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank You for today. I thank You for the men and the women in this room this morning. Thank You for Your church that encourages us and inspires us to continue on. God, I thank you for the reminder of what you're doing, what you have done, and what you continue to do today with your church. May we be a people who look for opportunities to love you with our heart, our mind, our soul, and to love our neighbors in the same way. God, we pray that there's a single person in this room that needs to make a decision for you, a first-time decision, that they wouldn't leave 
out of here today without saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to worship you. I want to study your word. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to share. I want to do these things. I want to be a part of your church. The first thing I have to do is give my life to you and live it. You're not requiring us to die today, but God, you're requiring us to live, to go, to make, to share. May we be those kind of people. May we be that kind of a church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you guys stand with me? If you want to pray with someone, if you have a decision to make, there will be some folks over it. the decision area. Let's, let's sing this song. Search the world, but it could fill me. Man's empty praise, treasures that fade, never enough. But then you came along, put me back together. Now satisfied here in your love. There's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid for you Cause I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me friend The God's on the mountain Calls the God of the mountain He's in the valley He's still the God of There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again.
better than Him. There's also nothing better than being a part of His church. And so if today, if you, you were here and you're just checking things out, and you're like, hey, you know what? I think you were here last week, and you heard, you've heard Pathway Step 1 now. You can come Tuesday night to Step 2. But before you leave today, here's what we want you to do. If you're, if you're saying, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to make Shelby Christian Church my home. You've been an immersed believer. You've been baptized. You're ready. You're sitting on go. You're like, this is it for me, right? Today's your, a great opportunity, a great time to be here. Uh, these covenant forms, it's a one-page form. You just sign it and date it. They'll be back there at the back. Dave will be back in the back. Ainley's going to be back there taking pictures. And it's just, uh, just a, an agreement to say, you know what? I'm going to commit to those five things. Not going to get them all perfect all the time, but we're all going to be literally on the same page as a church. And that's what this is about. And so if you want to do that today uh, and join that, and then like I said, come Tuesday night for Pathway Step 2, man, you are, you're, you're rolling now. And then let's see what God continues to do because this church, the church, is the hope of the world. Jesus said nothing's going to prevail against it. And so let's get out of here and go love God. And love people and watch Jesus change this world. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you. Hey, church family. I'm Jordan, and here's what's happening on the...